0: Welcome everyone, my name is Michael S. Sieber. You're listening to Equal Chance to Be Unequal. My podcast about unlocking human potential through helping people disconnected from their purpose, uncover and live their purpose. Good day. Welcome everybody to another episode of equal chance to be unequal. My guest today is Beth Steiner. Beth is vice president of strategic development and coaching at Innovative Connections. She has a very distinct passion for connecting people and organizations to new ideas, resources and opportunities. She's skilled in working with leaders to create ambitious goals and develop the culture and systems needed to align the workforce to achieve them. She has more than 20 years as an executive leader and professional coach in government, retail, manufacturing, and healthcare. She was named to the Phoenix Business Journal's 40 Under 40, and was a member of Valley Leadership. She has a master's degree in organizational development from Bowling Green State University and a bachelor's in communication from Michigan State University. She was certified by the Coaches Training Institute in 2005, is credentialed through the International Coaching Federation, and is a senior professional in human resources. In addition, she is participating in Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence coaching program, and I think probably will graduate some point this year in 2019. In the past X number of years, she has volunteered with the Fresh Start Women's Foundation, the International Refugee Committee, and was a court-appointed special advocate in Arizona. She now lives in Virginia with her husband and two children. Prior to joining Innovative Connections, Beth and her family took an entire year to travel the world, which we'll talk about as we go through today's show. So with that Welcome, Beth, to the show. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: There's been so much that I've been able to follow through your journey from when you and I first met probably 2010, probably 2011, when we worked together at Banner Health, to my career adjustments and changes to your career growth at Banner Health at the time, and then you taking some time with your husband and with your boys to be able to travel the world It has been so fun for me to watch that journey. So kudos to you for living life to its fullest.
1: Thank you so much. It's amazing to be at a place where we're um, done with that trip and and looking back and reflecting on all the memories that we made. So it was quite impactful for each one of us.
0: No doubt. So if you can, Beth, turn back the clock a little bit to some of those early days in Michigan, because we both were born and raised in Michigan turn back the clock to those days and kind of walk us to today, some of the lessons you learned, people you've met, some of the cool things you've accomplished.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for the opportunity to do that. I, you know, I grew up in Michigan, like you did, Michael, and um, grew up in Rochester, Michigan, outside of Detroit. And I think one of the things I, I reflect back on and my mom so often told me was that I really liked organizing things and I really liked people. And I really liked a lot of things that you don't necessarily get fostered in the school system. So, I think reflecting on my early days, it makes me think about all the kids out there, all the people out there with these talents and gifts that academics don't necessarily recognize. And so um, I think if I look at my career and how that's translated, so much of what I liked when I was younger is what I get to do now. It just was a bit more uncommon or out of place when I was in elementary school and in secondary school. So I grew up in Michigan. I have one brother and uh, my parents raised us in Rochester, Michigan. I went to Rochester High School and on to Michigan State. And I think another quick story I would share as I look back on on events that shape us. I was in high school and tried out for the volleyball team. And um, I like to live my life and I have mantras that have helped to shape things that I remember. And so I'm telling the story because it starts with one of the very first mantras I remember shaping how I moved forward and and in high school, I tried out for the volleyball team and and prior to my freshman year and gone to a small private school you know the the competition there was not very fierce, so my volleyball skills coming into high school were quite inferior compared to the other people who had played in the larger public high school settings. So I remember being very ambitious and wanting to try out for the volleyball team my freshman year. And anyone who's tried out for a team can recall the the anxiety producing moments where you're giving it your all and then you're going to wait for this list to be posted in the locker room where you see if you're above or below the line. And so I tried out and um, lo and behold, I got cut from the team. I, I did not make that that first go. And so that first thing I wanted, the fall of your freshman year was not there. And I clearly, clearly remember all these years later that there in lied a choice. The choice was to walk away and to believe the narrative that I stunk and I wasn't good at volleyball and um, it wasn't my sport, so go find something else. Or to like face that failure and know in my heart, it's what I really wanted. And I'm really, really grateful looking back that I chose the, the harder route and um, the, the more humble route in that it was not easy facing that as a freshman. But what I did is I went back to the coach and I said, I really want to be part of this team. And is there any way I can do that when I'm not playing? And she said, well, you could be the equipment manager and the team manager, <laughs> which was a very illustrious position of keeping score during games. And, but what it gave me the opportunity to do was play. Every day, I got to play in the warmups. I was always around the strategy of the game. Um, I was in the atmosphere and in the environment. And so, fast forward, and I know this is all these years ago, and it might seem insignificant, but what ended up happening is I played volleyball every day with my girlfriends who wanted me to win, if you will. Went to camps, and I came back my sophomore year, and I was the captain of the JV team. Holy moly! So, yeah, I mean, again, like wow, you're a high school volleyball player, and that lesson was like, you can do anything you put your mind to. If Mm -hmm. you want it and you want to do the work, you can do it. And I'm so grateful that I learned that lesson earlier on in life, because it has been something I go back to time and time again in those moments where I have that choice, walk away, do something else or go for what you want and like put your all into it and take that risk again.
0: Yeah, I love that. Such <laughs> a cool story. Okay, thanks, so thanks. tell me, there was something awesome like that that happened at MSU or Bowling Green too.
1: <laughs> oh goodness, you know, I think I, honestly, some of the things that pop up for me at Michigan State um, was finding your voice and being involved mm-hmm. in some situations where that were a bit sticky and um, learning to trust the voice and be an advocate and an ambassador for things that are right for yourself, for women, for social justice causes. So those were. Some of my my personal experiences being at both college and, and in graduate school, I can't say I walked away with any specific mantras, but I did really get shaped by different mentors and, and people who had been in my life and, and who had supported me and um, believed in, in, in me in times where... I didn't necessarily believe in myself. Just a bit of how I mm-hmm. got to Bowling Green, one of my first jobs out of Michigan State was um, working with the Michigan's AmeriCorps program, which is like the Domestic Peace Corps. And so I had the opportunity to be the program director for the state of Michigan, and communities all across the state had their own AmeriCorps programs, which AmeriCorps is like the domestic. And, and so one program might be around domestic violence, another might be around early literacy, uh, childhood literacy, all the programs had different focuses based on what that community needed and my role was part of my role was to go to those communities and basically do a 360 inventory of what was working what was Mm -hmm. not working from a stakeholder's perspective from a client perspective staff perspective and then go back and deliver a report to the team around this is where, where you're really rocking it here's some opportunities and then how can I help connect you to the right resources to shore up those opportunities and um One of the things I I knew in my life is I always wanted to go get my master's program. That was a very clear conviction I had. And when I read about organization development as a field in Bowling Green's program, I had never heard of organization development before that but it made me think of all my experiences with the the AmeriCorps programs doing the work I love, which is community building, looking at the 360, and then working with people on their strengths and then their opportunities. So that's what shaped Mm -hmm. me getting into the field of organization development, even though I I didn't know that was the work I loved. So that's the other thing I think in life, right? Sometimes we, we know what we love doing, but we might not even be aware there's something out there that exists, whether it's a position or a field or an interest group, and um, they're out there. So, so how do we bump, put ourselves in in the position of bumping into those experiences, so we can really yeah. align and get some traction?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, the the serendipitous opportunities that can be presented when we're doing things that we love are innumerable. Yeah, but if we don't, if we're not mm. open to them, how do we know? You know?
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I finished um, the work at Bowling Green. I one quick funny story that ended up with another mantra. I had an opportunity for an internship and I, I took it with Honeywell and it was out in New York. So I went, drove myself and my little Saturn at the time to New York and through the city and out to Long Island and spent three months. And um, where they housed me at the time was Hofstra University. So picture a dormitory after you haven't lived in a dormitory for five or six years. Now you're going back to one <laughs> and not only are you going to live in the dormitory, but it's summer. So nobody else is in the whole building of nine floors, but you. Um, that's kind of the definition of loneliness. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I re I remember um, hiking into my dorm by myself unloading my little Saturn and having this TV, I don't know how many inches it was, but big enough that, you know, and it was wide enough at the time, these weren't the flat screen days, where I had to fit it into the security gate, the kind that rotate with like the grates between them, like the fingers that cross. And I remember just like chanting, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Um, Because I did not know how I was going to survive that summer by myself. But um, that was a I'm glad I did. I, I learned a lot. About my independence and um, navigation, you know, on my own and getting through a summer that was not very engaging and really quite lonely. Um, and at the same time, that opportunity led to a, a job. So at the end of that summer with Honeywell, they offered me a position in Phoenix, which is how we ended up getting to Phoenix, where I, I met you. Full half circle, I guess, from Michigan to Phoenix, where we connected out there. And um, I spent the first three years working in with Honeywell Aerospace and had a great opportunity to get to know an organization that was international and and global and very complicated. And um, at the time, you know, one of your your questions for your podcast was books that people recommend. Two years into my work there, I just felt shriveled inside and was not feeling fulfilled. I'm sure people who've been in jobs where they don't feel engaged can relate I felt like I had so much more to give and I was looking for nooks and crannies where I could contribute, but it, it just wasn't clicking. And I I came to go through the book, The Artist's Way. Have you heard of the book by Julia Cameron?
0: No, I haven't. Sounds good.
1: Oh, I love I love that book. Yeah, it's kind of like a 12-week process you can take yourself through in, in creating, um, learning more about who you are, what makes you tick, and then what you need for fulfillment. And I think someone recommended it to me. And so I started working that workbook and came to the conclusion that I was in the wrong organization. My values and who I was as a person and the authentic self uh, did not align. And so, you know, the the example I'd give you so you can kind of visually picture this is you can probably tell from my voice, I'm pretty energetic, I'm enthusiastic, I'm an extrovert for the most part. And I was working in an environment with introverts who were designing aerospace equipment in cubicles. So when you'd pass someone in the hallway, here I am going, hey, how are you? And the people would look down at the floor, walk past me and, totally. and maybe mumble. So totally. so that was my daily engagement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is minimal um, at
1: best. And, totally, and and what led to like the feeling like I don't I don't fit here, and there's nothing wrong with the company. It's what's wrong with my connection to this company. And so, um, I think this was the first time in my life that I I wrote an intention out, and I remember writing an intention out, and I, I can almost cite it verbatim. Although I know if I try, I might stumble over it. But the effect of it was, I am in a career that allows me to be fully me, contribute to my fullest potential, and pays me so that I can live comfortably. It was something to that effect was my intention. I wrote it on a note card. I got a little um, four by six frame, like the see-through frames that have a little shelf on the bottom, and I put it next to my bed. And every night before bed, I'd light a candle. I would stare at my intention and say it and um, and then let it go. And I, I didn't dive headfirst into a job search. I didn't start Resume building, I, I literally started with an intention statement because I believed that the universe would bring this to me. And literally within three weeks, um, someone had told me about Banner Health, which was a large healthcare firm. I had not worked in healthcare. We talked about my values. She thought they would very much align given my experience at the previous organization. And within three weeks, I had an interview and an offer to join Banner Health in an organization development director position. And I say that because to me, that's like intention and flow, right? Like it, there wasn't mm-hmm. work. Um, there was, there was, self, and I often say this, and I have a friend that corrects me. I, I say, it's not work. And she says, no, it's self work. And that's work. And so um, it's a good reminder that. Digging deeper and reflecting and knowing your values and living your values, um, I dismiss it sometimes. Like it's not work, and it is work. And and so it was the self work and the self clarity that allowed, I I believe the the universe to to manifest this amazing opportunity that completely checked off that intention. Well,
0: I think that that's an amazing thing that and most people don't really or can't wrap their mind around that is that. I, and you and I probably have both done this in our respective lives. yeah, but it, it's like we take so much action each day with the hope that it's going to lead to something. and in many cases it does. But oftentimes the the lack of focus around that activity takes us further away from our intention. And I really love to bring people back to what you just said, Beth, which is when you set the intention and made it very, very physical, right? by writing it down, honoring it or saying it or visualizing it each night, all of a sudden, within a very short period of time, Opportunities mm-hmm. are presenting themselves, and so that type of self work is work, but it's very actually f- fast in delivering to us the results we actually
1: desire. Yeah, yeah, and again, you don't know where it's coming from, right? So it's kind of hard to even strategize or plan when it could come from anywhere. How that manifests itself and and, and yeah. brings itself to light. So I I love the flow part of it. Um, I love I. In high school, I took a jewelry class, the only jewelry class I took. And I remember very distinctly, the teacher came up to me, I was making a ring out of silver, which you like, you make a mold, and then it goes into a container, and then it spins and fills with silver, and you get your silver ring. And I was working on it, and he said, um, he said, I'm curious, I noticed that you work against the grain. And he said, do you know if you work with the grain, things will go so much easier? and um right like i was jewelry oh. class in high school and and i was like holy cow i didn't even realize i was working against the grain i guess i didn't even notice there was a grain <laughs> so, so you know that was a great a great takeaway from high school jewelry teacher was work, work with the flow and it will be oh easier. my
0: gosh like the the angels around you are ridiculous beth <laughs> holy moly they are that is so cool. Like, so but, um, but the best part is is that you recognize them as being climactic moments, maybe not in the moment, right. but later in life, you're like, oh my gosh, like these angels, these mentors, these guides were in my life. And now this is what they were helping me to understand. And so now I, th- I think about all of the people that you serve and how much better off they are now because mm-hmm. you had that mm-hmm. epiphany.
1: Yeah. I guess I never had thought of that teacher as kind of an angel or a guide along the way. And that makes it even more powerful to think that there was some intention and purpose behind that. I like it. I like. Oh my it. gosh!
0: Yes, completely. And at least that's yeah. at least that's how I see the world. So it, and I think that there's, um, and I'm a big fan. And like I shared with you in the pre-show, Beth, I, I have a very defined process that I put clients through, and I ask very specific questions about the early parts of their childhood, teenage years, early twenties, because there's very formative events that happen there. And I think some of the formative events for you were definitely the volleyball scenario, but maybe even like trying to make a ring out of silver, like there's something important about that event that taught you a ton that you have applied in lots of other ways, perhaps subconsciously, not really realizing it but it has been wicked impactful.
1: I wish I would have kept that ring now that we're talking about it. I'm like, dang it. (laughs) That would be a great symbol (laughs) to just keep out there, work with the grain, go with the flow. Yeah.
0: yeah. We do need to do more of that. And so do you feel like then, you know, you're at Banner and the the career obviously it took off because you went from, you know, or was a director of, you know, OD all of a sudden 10, 11 years later, you know, vice president of human resources. I can imagine that there was a ton of stuff that happened in that 10 or 11 years that, has really benefited you, impacted you, helped you, right? Whatever you want to say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, you know, it was truly a gift to be there. And the chapter I had at at Banner was fabulous. Um, I was uh, so fortunate to be hired into that first position by a woman named Kathy Bollinger, who is now retired from Banner. But um, we started and ended our careers there together. And I she's definitely in the top three leaders, the number one I've, I've ever come across in her ways of leading. So I had such a, a opportunity to be mentored by her in so many different ways throughout my 13 years there that I, I really um, it was a gift to not only get to have a position where I got to live this intention, but to be given the best leader I've ever come across in my life as the person to guide me through it. You know, she's definitely another one of those angels wow. along the way that that you mentioned that. Uh, shaped my life. So yeah, I was a banner for 13 years. I love kind of in reflection, I had six different roles there and four of them didn't exist until we created them or made them happen. And so I really love being in places that are are new, that are unchartered, that are ambiguous and Um, you can craft things. And I'm grateful to have worked for a corporation that allowed those things to happen and gave me a ton of experiences with mergers and acquisitions and C-suites of leadership teams and strategic initiatives across across the organization that truly touch all 50,000 people. Um, It was a a fabulous experience and Hmm. and shaped me in many, many ways. I can only imagine
0: what that was like. And I worked at Banner for such a short period of time relative to you. And uh, even in the small projects that we worked on together with regards to OD, I I could just sense that you had a really distinct uh, mm-hmm. drive or awareness of what it was that you were attempting to create for yourself personally or professionally. And I always really admired that. And I think that's why I spent so much time um, working on projects mm-hmm. or paying attention to what it was that you were doing then. But then also the the year that you guys had abroad, um, right, just being like, holy moly, like, I would like to be able to do that someday. I love international travel, but I don't know how I'm going to make that happen quite yet. So I love that you set this intention for your life. And then for 13 years, you were able to then live it in a very meaningful way um, with many other things that you did in the community and for your own growth and development or for your family's growth and development. But a lot of things then manifested out of that in a very beautiful way.
1: Yeah, I I don't think, um, again, going back to flow, I don't think we could have scripted, strategized, planned um, the opportunities that came out of that experience, and, and really, what happened is in, in 2016, I, I went to a, a coaching retreat. Uh, it's with Devin Combs, who has Beyond the Arena, which is a fabulous organization, and she does equine coaching. Have you ever done horses in your coaching?
0: I haven't. You, oh, okay. No, but I, I know of organizations that do it.
1: Oh my gosh, totally highly recommend the experience. So I had, I coaching's been pivotal my whole life. So while I haven't talked about it, you know, the whole time in these big momentous times, I'm working with a coach. Um, behind the scenes to make sure I'm clear and aligned with who I am and what I'm about. And um, I had, you know, gone to Bend one evening, scrolling through Facebook. I knew Devin from a previous retreat years ago that we both attended as participants. And I saw she was coming to Tucson to offer uh, Beyond the Arena retreat for three days and um, with horses. And it was in Tucson. And at the time I was working between Phoenix and Tucson. So that, that was like my backyard. You know, here are people were going to travel around the country to come to this retreat. And I could be there on my commute home, essentially. So it was one of those, another moments where I I saw it on Facebook and I, my husband was sleeping. I think it was midnight on a Friday. And I literally went online and signed up because I knew I had to go. There was, it it was not a question. It was like, sign up and go, this is, you're going. So I, I had gone to this retreat and it was in the November of I think so, February, November, something like that, 2016. And the the experience was incredibly profound. Each woman who was there worked with a horse. These are not trained therapeutic horses. These are like horses on the ranch. They're not Devons. She just picks them out um, for the place that she's working. She's based out of Colorado, not not Arizona. And um, the 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 experience there is what led to the, the our idea that we wanted to travel the world. And I had no idea that that was inside of me. I didn't go into the retreat thinking about how to travel the world. I went into the tr- retreat thinking, what's next? I've, I've been in this with this company for 13 years. Um, you know, I will once in a while talk to recruiters about positions at other companies, but that seems so like more of the same. And I'm not up to more of the same. I'm up to something really different. And so through the experience of working with this incredibly high-spirited Arabian who I picked out, which is ironic because I love horses but I'm also scared of them and if you know arabians they can be a bit unpredictable and and you know spook with the wind <laughs> here I'm like let's work with that one so um but but this this horse named Moby he helped me discover that what I wanted next was something that was inclusive of my whole family it wasn't about me and my career what was next for me it was about what was next for us it was international and it involved service. We wanted to, I wanted to volunteer, contribute, and have an impact on the world as we did it. So I, I left that retreat knowing that we were going to travel the world, and I hadn't even talked to our, my family. And um, I, I came home, and we had that conversation. My husband was completely on board when we talked to the boys about what this kind of trip would look like. my My kid said, as long as we can go to Australia and rent a Jeep, I don't know where that came from, but that was the request. (laughs) That was the clarity that came from it. And, um, and again, just like that intention, going back to what got me to banner, we wrote a family intention that we are safely and successfully and um, traveling the world as a family. And we had many more intentions after that, you know, a list of them, but we put that out in the universe. And um, within a year, the opportunity accelerated for me to leave Banner and for us to embark on the stream. And we accelerated our plan. We thought it would be three years from the time we identified the stream and it ended up being exactly a year from when we put a stake in the ground and started telling people we wanted to travel to us packing up our bags and leaving the house. So my phrase I take away from that was, it's easier than you think it is. Sometimes I I know for myself I can make things complicated and overcomplicate them and I can think of all the reasons it won't work or what I have to let go of or change. And my mantra for that period of time is it's easier than you think it is. Just keep go do the right next thing and talk to that next person and it's all possible.
0: How true is that? Like so, it's so true. Lot, like,
1: yeah, well, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> it's true for me. I can say that.
0: <laughs> I but I think you're right in that so many people Uh, maybe the folks you serve, and I definitely can say this for the folks that I serve, is that they build up in their mind all of these possibilities, right? So they get into risk mitigation mode. And so they think of 100 things that might go wrong or that might be complicated or might make it challenging as opposed to thinking about the optimistic possibility or the positive outcome that may come. Mm -hmm. And I just believe that if we could convince our brains to look at the world in a much more optimistic fashion, uh, even though there might be a little... You know, like wall or something we need to jump over in order to make this bigger picture goal happen. But if we can convince our brain that whatever comes later, or the the journey is going to teach us a lot, and that we're going to Mm -hmm. deliver this really beautiful experience or thing later, that that should give us the courage to try to do things that are a little bit untraditional. And I think you and your family clearly have done that. And now I think you get to go around and around the nation or maybe around the world and and share that message with people very beautifully.
1: Yeah. I run into a lot of people who, you know, I'd say they give you the but response, which is I've always wanted to do that too. But, and as soon as they say, but right, they're negating what they just said. And so, um, I very much want to help people discover the and anything is possible, right? Like you can have a million dollars to travel on. You could have $5,000 to travel on. You can still travel. There are lots of ways to make things possible. And so how do we remove those self-limiting beliefs, unless it's not what we really want. And maybe that's where we have to start. It's like, what do I really want? And is this something I really want? And then, so what am I willing to, to let go of and move out of the way so I can have that? Um, because we, we stand in our own way sometimes. And I mean, in, in perspective too, right, when you get through things, they're easier when you're on the other side. And when we first Decided we wanted to take this trip. The the metaphor or the analogy I used is I felt like someone was asking me to go to the moon. It in because I'd never done anything mm. like I, I don't have a cadre of friends who've done this before. I actually didn't know anyone who had taken their family for a year around the world. I didn't know anyone, and so it felt like I had to figure out how to become an astronaut and get to space. And I didn't ha- know what the resources were. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a flight <laughs> like a fighter pilot. There's all these things that I'm not. And so it became my first step became, then who are the other astronauts? And that was my metaphor. And we started by finding other astronauts, both online through technology, as well as through our network of people, and um, use that to inform us on what else we needed to start thinking for our, our space trip. And it's funny, because at the time, it, it really did feel that foreign. It really felt that foreign to me. And now, looking back after having done that with our family, I kind of laugh. I'm like, it's so easy. You just like go online, book some stuff, go some places. <laughs> like, yeah. why did I think it was such a big deal? But it felt really big it, at the time. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause never having done it and you had been building a life that was very much built on the the safety or the security that the job offered or, or that the work that your husband was doing or, or Phoenix proper, right? There's, there's a safety and security in that because you got a circle of friends, uh, kids are doing great, all that stuff. So it's like we have to break free from something that we know is safe and reliable and secure. to yeah. really experience the extraordinary and it's worth it, but it's it's like really changing the thought and behavioral patterns around that. And that's probably the hardest thing for people to do is that humans dislike change naturally. So then you know, you're asking mm-hmm. your own brain to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to give up everything that I've known my life to be to go out and create something. So it seems like an even bigger mountain when all it is, is a few clicks on a computer screen.
1: Right. Yeah. And we don't know what we're going to do when we get back. Like, (laughs) you know, it's not only the launching into this piece, but it's like, who knows what comes after that? Because you're really taking yourself uh, out of any kind of, not that life's predictable, but stable to your point trajectory that you had put yourself on and Mm -hmm. removed yourself from the path. And again, it goes back to trusting, like, Life will work out, and things will happen the way they need to and I can't figure that all out now, just like I can't control everything so to let that go and and to do what our heart said that we we wanted to do and to follow that we called it living the dream, our Facebook page, and because that's what it was for us was like not waiting to live the dream when we're retired and our kids are grown, but like live it now. Um, who knows life's short. I've had a lot of family members pass away early and, or wait to retire. And then things didn't go out, you know, as planned. So, so do it now. And I think that was part of what shaped our decision too. And to your point, it was a risk to step away from the known to go into the unknown.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it is. And so I'd encourage everybody listening to, to really think about what Beth just said is that there are it does take a a pretty big level of courage to try those things, but oftentimes what we learn through those experiences and events is far more than can ever be taught to us in our current scenario or situation, mm-hmm. and and so that's why it's it's so important to think about. So so Beth, were there when you think about that year? Obviously, you visited a ton of places, met a ton of people, had a lot of experiences. Were there like overarching themes of lessons mm-hmm. that you learned, or maybe that? that your family learned after going through that experience? Yeah, I
1: think um, we actually did a video at the end of our trip. And now I want to go back and watch it because we answered a bit of that. We we each reflected on our biggest lessons learned. And um, I I remember globally for me, like from a macro level, what I learned just about cultures and people uh, made me appreciate that our culture in America is just one more culture, not that it's better or it's worse. Um, I think in previous travels, when I would just go to one country and come back, I would find myself annoyed with American loudness and domination of business and capitalism and some of the things that are definitions. But what was different this time was going to 20 different countries. It came back and America was just you know country 21. It wasn't better or worse. Every single country had their own flavor, their mm. own politics. Nothing was perfect. And we're just like everyone else when it comes to that. We're just one more culture. So I think uh, I had tolerance for maybe things that had frustrated me about being an American citizen in our current situation uh, is something that I gained. I I definitely realized more than ever the importance of having connection with people who support you. And um, while it can be done virtually, hmm. and we stayed in touch on FaceTime and videos and Facebook with all of our loved ones, there's something that is missing when you don't have the physical contact with people. And it's hard to describe, but it was a craving for me most of the trip. I think, um, you know, I think it also goes back to making sure you have peace supports in your life to support you in regular life. You have exercise possibly, or you go for a run, you have your church, you have your spiritual group, you have your therapy session, whatever you need to support you. And when we traveled, we, we pulled ourselves out of that, really. And it wasn't until halfway through our trip that my husband and I thought, you know what, we should have a coaching session with our coach, because it's unrealistic to think we could go a year without any of those supports that you have in your normal life when things are normal, and not apply them on something that's not normal, and it's unusual. So I think the importance of building in those structures in any phase of your life to make sure you have the the support and the energy, being filling your bucket, if you will, is super, super important. And then You know, I think when you are in a lifestyle that I would say is monotonous, back in America, go to work, get the kids to school, do the bath, repeat the next day. um, There, there's a grind that comes with it, and when you step out of that grind, you can also have the exhaustion on the other side of the constant going and not having the same place that you're living and stability. So when we finally settled back in Virginia there's so much to explore here. We're 10 miles from DC and every weekend we'd be like, should we go to the Smithsonian? Should we go see the white house? And my, my boys were like, no, let's, let's like play street hockey and like see our friends outside. Like they didn't, they didn't want to go anywhere. (laughs) Um, I think we are just all a year of going. We are ready just to be. And so uh, I think the importance of being, you know, was reinforced through the trip and, and just enjoying each other and being somewhere you're settled is, I, I don't think we'll take that for granted again, having a couch and a TV and <laughs> a backyard. Oh, I
0: completely agree. I, 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 you know, I really love that you mentioned that because, you know, you had such a, like a hard charging career and then on the trip around the world, right, there's moments of being hard charging, but then you, you and Aaron were looking at it saying, how is it that we pull a lot of meaningful information out of this for ourselves or for our boys? So having the coaching sessions, doing the reflection when you returned and really thinking about Hey, we just got to experience, you know, 20 different types of culture. We did learn tolerance or Uh we did learn the importance of human connection, or we did learn that the support structures that exist around us are important. Or like you just said, we learned that it is okay just to be Uh and that's being present in whatever way is important for you. Because oftentimes there's, there's a lot more learning that comes to us through epiphanies, through dreams, through whatever, from just being. Uh And uh, I shared with you earlier that, I, I didn't get to go to 20 countries in one year, but just a few weeks back, I was in Costa Rica. And that really hit me hard during that retreat that I was on, that there was so much learning that was happening when I was just sitting on the beach doing nothing. Uh-huh. And the amount of learning that happened in those moments was so amazingly beautiful that it wouldn't happen necessarily if I'm driving from meeting to meeting uh-huh. or whatever it is that I'm traditionally doing my day-to-day structure. So I just want everybody listening to pay really keen attention to that. It's like, what are those things that you're doing day to day that allow for prayer, meditation, reflection, just being just being quiet so that you can find those patterns in your life and see where are those things that you're allowed to give energy or you're receiving energy meaningfully from people? Or who are those people or what are those experiences where you feel like you're, you're, your 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 energy is being extracted, right? And it's not meaningful. Uh-huh. And so be be very, very mindful of that. Because I think what Beth and her family figured out or learned is that there are lots of scenarios where we need to give and receive energy and that's where we uh-huh. should be devoting most of our time. And
1: I think to your point about being in Costa Rica and the and versus being in meetings and back to back, what you had there on our trip was the space to not be doing. And I think that it's possible to do. I don't think you need to travel around the world or go to another country to create space. Certainly on vacations or getaways, it's easier because there's a purposeful element of that. And how do we create that for ourselves in our regular world in the day-to-day? I find in conversations with friends as recently I had this weekend is that Um, Even when there's an opportunity to have an hour or two on a Saturday to to be down, if you will, not down mentally, but down like physically, like just being down and settling, that there's such a temptation to be distracted by picking up your phone or, or following the hamster wheel thought of, oh, I should call my mom and taking yourself out of that space that I think we do a disservice to ourselves by following that because there's always something to do. There's always something to do. And yeah. how do we create it? So it's sacred. So it is like you're on a beach in Costa Rica, or I'm in Thailand where my phone broke for three months and I didn't replace it. Like there's a freedom that comes with that. And also there was like no distraction. <laughs> and and so what, what's possible? What do we need for ourselves to create space and, um, set some boundaries. So we're not going to let our brains distract us to whatever wandering thought pops up, but we can be present with whatever's happening and oh, what we, you're That's noticing awesome. and all those deep thoughts you had that came to you. You're like, I'm just sitting here. Wow. Like, I didn't know I wanted that, or I didn't know I thought that, or wow, do I think yep. that? that? <laughs> like, is that what I believe? Hmm, I got to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to process this. So yeah. So I think creating that in our lives, mm-hmm. undistracted time. Is important it's
0: wicked important i so completely agree so when you when you think about all the blessings and the things from that year and now we move forward to uh the time that you have with innovative connections and the work that you do professionally um talk a little bit about and we'll maybe we'll go through these three things in in some depth and, and you go where you feel called to is i think about coaching right i think about executive coaching coaching in some capacity i think a lot about cultural adjustment and change and what that means and what that takes um, or even some of the things that you did with banner, maybe you do now with regards to mergers and acquisitions, like let's dive into that stuff a little bit and you can start with whichever one you feel called to. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think about this a lot because I get to do it day to day. You get to do it day to day. And I just feel like earth is really primed for wanting to be much more open to change and to this mode of creation. So dive in a little bit there, Beth, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So just, I guess a little context is, um, I have been doing coaching for about 15 years now and, uh, I've done it with leaders in and out of healthcare, work with a lot of physicians right now in in the coaching space. And um, I I think what coaching provides so often is kind of what we were just talking about earlier is that undistracted space to be and to desire and to go deeper and to process and to want. And um, I find a lot in my coaching that there, there are things people want in their life, but they do the but thing like, but I can't have it or but life's too busy or but I'm on call and it's about discovering the and, and how is that possible? So there's a lot of work in coaching um, that I find I, I gravitate towards is, is helping people find their and, and, and what's possible and what do they want, and how quickly we, I, I see people shut down dreams or maybe intentions that they have for whatever, either maybe it's a should of what they think they should do. Uh, a lot of times I, I notice it's the some people call it the inner critic or the gremlin, that voice inside that says that we're not enough and we we shouldn't or we can't. So it's helping to identify or holding that back with folks so they they can move forward to be the better parent they want to be who's more patient or to take a job part-time so they can be home with their teenagers because these years are going quickly. Um, one of my, my favorite activities in coaching that I've used recently is the future self-activity. Hmm. Have you done that, Michael? I don't know if
0: I've called it that, but but describe it and we'll see if it's connected to something like
1: I likely. Yeah. You've probably done something similar, but it comes out of the coaches training Institute. So they have a coaching coactive coaching handbook that you can buy on Amazon and it's in there. So not stealing anyone's stuff, but there's a two or three different visualizations where you walk the person you're working through, through a verbal visualization of going into the future 10 or 20 years, you can decide based on who you're working with and what they need. And they meet their future self, they meet who they are in in 20 years. And they're in their environment in the space that this future self is living. And um, they get wisdom from the future self to back to who they are today to solve some problem or, or think through something. And basically, you get in touch with this essence of who you are that's in you all the time that that confident convicted grounded self and so the exercise is about 20 minutes long but each and every time people take away something that they need in that whether it's the confidence to be like yes that's who i am or potentially an unrealized dream of holy cow i you know i actually just spoke with a physician this weekend who found himself on a farm in montana and he did not even know that that was something he would ever envision but it sparked for him like huh like I would feel so at home with a fishing pond nearby and a ranch and, and things that are not in my life today, but maybe that's what I want. So the purpose of the activity, is it manifests lots of different ways. And I'm not saying there's a reason to do it that's the right way. It's just whatever comes up for people be, becomes a place to work from. And so I do like incorporating future self for people who um, are in today's now, but maybe they don't know what they're yearning for. Maybe they don't have quite the confidence or that conviction inside to, to trust themselves of what they need to do and how they need to show up today. And um, oftentimes work with the client to name that future self. And, and for, for my, myself, just personally to share, I, when I did it about 15 years ago, the future self was named Viking with a voice. And it was about being an advocate, speaking for the unspoken, um, being strong. And so it had that Viking spirit to it. And then when I did it a few years later, the future self was called breeze and it was about light and flow and be. And to me, Viking with a voice and and breeze became my yin and my gang, right? It wasn't one or the other, or that I outgrew one. It was for me that that was the combination of self that I wanted to live into was to be someone who's grounded and who can be, but absolutely will not tolerate injustice or, um, unethical behavior or something, or a voice that needs to be spoken for. So that's the kind of language that then becomes possible for that client to go back to. So when they're having a tough day or things didn't go the way they planned, for me, I would say, what would Breeze do right now? Or what would Breeze tell me to do right now? And I get wisdom from myself to guide my path and and that next step forward. I don't have to look on a magazine or Google it. I have it within me and it becomes a resource and a tool. So that's one of the the tools I like to use with my clients. And I find that they, it's a sustainability tool. They can take it with them. It doesn't require a coach to take them back there. They have it locked in for themselves to tap into whenever they want.
0: I love it. And that's a great way. I think I've done similar exercises with people not knowing maybe that's what like the Coactive Coaching Institute would call it or, uh, you know, something like mm-hmm. that, but I, I do love that because I love to have individuals write a personal mission statement or a personal intention statement and then yeah. do what you did, which was you know really codify it, really make it physical or tangible and for, for me uh-huh. each client does it different, right what it is that they want. and so like as an example, I have a, uh-huh. a small bracelet that I bought on myintent.org. and uh, for me right now, the focus is really on harmony. So the word on the bracelet is harmony mm. and so each day, all I got to do is look at my left wrist and that's the reminder of my mission and of the the kind of the yin part of my yang and to say, hey, you do need to have that 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 bit of harmony in your life because you can achieve all of these marvelous things. But it really does require there to be some harmony and some balance and some slow time, too. And so um, I think what Beth said just a few minutes back was really, really powerful. It's like really have that open dialogue with your future self to say, what is it that you really would like? And then keep that visualization or that conversation or that mantra or that avatar close by in your mind or make it physical somehow in a way that you can then reference it, talk to it, uh, you know, use it as a guidepost or some sort of a Northern star, because it'll be the thing that makes sure that you Mm -hmm. make a lot of decisions that are in accordance with your mission, Mm -hmm. not separate from your Mm -hmm. mission. And that's really important. Absolutely,
1: And it's available to you right before you walk in a meeting, right? Like it's not something you have to go think about. You can lock it in and access it, right? five minutes before you need it in a conversation to set that intention for how you want to show up and be uh, with that other person or in the situation. Yeah.
0: And I I just think that's such an important thing. And so when you think about any, you know, cultural change initiatives, obviously you've led a lot of them from the very individual personal level all the way up to, you know, for an entire 50,000 person organization, do you feel like these things Mm -hmm. are are they scalable? Are they applicable? Or like, how do you see the difference between like one-to-one coaching or what it actually takes to facilitate cultural change at a massive level? Like, how do you see the difference there?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, I think what works in coaching works in change, right? Like, coaching's all around an in individual dialogue and uh, building dreams, alignment, going deeper and And taking action. and that's what organizations want they they want to go, move forward and they uh, hopefully want their employees to come along for the journey with them. so I, I think that's exactly what culture changes in many ways is just amplifying those voices and they have to have a place to go. So I think where culture change and initiatives stumble a lot of times is there's a directive for above and it's a one-way communication down and then we expect everyone to get on board. and that's not how we as humans work. so, How do we generate conversation? How do we equip our leaders to generate conversation that pull the best out of people? And then how do we as organizations, if we have an intent or a direction, and we find out from the masses that we need to modify that because of something, or we need to slow it down because of something, or we need to do something different, how do we allow for the voices to inform us, not to stop us, not to say we're not going to do that, But if we just march forward with our kind of going back to our plans, Conversation earlier. If we march far forward with a plan and we don't modify that to meet the needs of the people or align their hearts and their minds, then it's it's going to be the flavor of the day, and it's going to be the thing we talked about a year ago that nobody can remember that training on X because they all went through empathy training, but nobody actually really locked it in, and there wasn't actually any conversation around what it was going to take for them to change. So I do think um, I, I do believe in my heart of hearts, and I thought this when I was at Banner. If if, lead, if we as leaders as we as humans can learn coaching skills, which I consider to be listening, and there's levels of listening that we can learn more about, um, being curious, asking open-ended questions that start with what and how, those three things unlock conversation. And I think if we can build organizations where that is accepted, where people have the skills to do those things and the organization has the capacity to take that information in, to shape their strategies, I think they're going to be unstoppable um, from the top and the, the masses for where people want to go. And that's the kind of work I like to do is aligning the the vision and the strategy and the I mission of the company to like the hearts and the minds of the people, but you can't do that without conversation. No,
0: it has to happen. So I, I, I love that. So when, when you're attempting to give folks at various levels of the organization a voice, obviously it can happen through one-to-one dialogue. Mm-hmm. Are there other methods by which you've seen it? Maybe it's electronic or maybe it's town halls yeah. or I don't know, Like, what are, what are the things that you've seen work?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely got to be scalable, right? When you have people in different countries or, or different regions or um, different 24-7, right? You're a stewardess on Southwest. You, the organization has to adapt to get create the space for people to connect. So I do think it's multi-level. I I do think it's anything, like you said, town halls, podcasts, um, rounding, you know, in healthcare, they have a lot of huddling where people stand up for 15 minutes. And the key, I believe, is the dialogue. Because I think I was at an, an organization recently that went through a merger and it, it you could go on the website and for a year see the amazing FAQs they produced and the videos from the CEOs and all this really great, well done information. The group I happened to be sitting with a year into it had no knowledge of any of that. And, and my hypothesis was wow. it's because you know oftentimes people say you have to communicate six and seven times. I have a hypothesis. I'd have to do an experiment to prove it true. So I can't say it's fact yet. But the reason that saying exists is because that's how many times you say things one way until someone hears you. When you say something one way, the only response that's going to get back from someone else is thanks for the information. There was no dialogue. There was no space yeah. for what's going to be different for me or how will my world change. And until we can invite that voice into the conversation, then there will never be change. And those same group of physicians will be sitting there saying, I don't know why we're merging. I don't know what the benefit. And I'm sure the PR people and the HR people who put their hearts into all this content would be incredibly frustrated to know that's what the targets of this content thought about their content. And they were never engaged. And to your point, it it could have been a physician leadership meeting where they got in small groups and maybe there was 200 in the room, but there was some table facilitation. Somehow we have to get people connected. And and until it's two-way, then you're going to have to communicate one way 25 times. And, and, and even then, all you're going to get is people yeah. who say thanks for the information. You're not going to get people who say, oh, I'm on board with the change. I'm ready to move my the way I do things, right? Like that's, that's right. not possible. And, um, and, and to your point, I do think that you can do surveys and things like that. And that's all great ways to get information. But then somehow you got to feedback that so that the information that came from people can become dialogue and not just another source of one way information.
0: Yeah. Oh man, that is such a killer. I know you're seeing it a lot in your work. I definitely see it in mine in that. Although most of what I do is one-to-one coaching, there are a couple of times where I get asked to, to do things a little bit more organizational development related and to really think about what are those things that open up communication at each level of the organization, and your suggestions are spot on. It's like the, the the marketing rule of seven takes effect, and you can deliver a message seven times, and you're you're then dictatorially or authoritatively like delivering the message. But unless a person can <laughs> directly how that change benefits him or her in his or her own life. And how that that fits in with some sort of five or twenty year vision for the organization, they're, they're not going to make it like important to them. It's not going to be tangible to them. And mm-hmm. I don't remember where I mm-hmm. read it, but it was a really interesting thing. Was is that Google had done some research and they found that the rule of seven, according in the marketing world, had become the rule of seventeen point seven because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I wish I wish I could find the article because I just thought it was such a cool thing. But if, for work that that you and I do, Beth. We literally have to get the message to people 18 times and we have to make sure that a lot of those touch points are open dialogue. So if it's a town hall, it's a one-to-one coaching, it's a training, whatever it is, like the person has to verbally be saying things back to us to really make sure we're understanding where they're coming from because it's at that point of engagement or it's at that point of them supporting it. That's where we're actually going to get action Absolutely. that's aligned, Absolutely. aligned and
1: meaningful. Yeah, one of the most fun experiences I had at Banner we had an initiative. Um, it was right at the time a lot was changing in healthcare, and you know the the company I was with was buying physician practices. We were going through mergers, we were upgrading our technology, and all to the bedside nurse. It was why are we spending money here and why are we investing in all these things when what they need is a better. better blood pressure cuff or something like that. And it was to the point that you're saying is having even just, um, we couldn't enlist our leaders to have that conversation because even they didn't feel equipped. And they were telling us that, like, this is too complicated for us to go deliver in a five minute huddle and hope people get this. And so, you know, then it becomes the organization, I, I believe their responsibility and obligation to design a way to bring people along. And the way we did that at the time was we, we worked with a partner, Root Learning. We created a six foot wide learning map that was literally a visual with different statistics and things like that on there about health care. It was kind of imposing. It was like a big storm at the time. And, um, and we designed a game, if you will, and it took 45 minutes, it was self facilitated, so people could stand around the table. And it was, you know, a nurse next to a doctor next to the IT person next to the pharmacist, So you have this cross section of a group, and they literally walked them th- self through this game. And the whole purpose was to create context for what was happening in healthcare in America compared to other countries, to look at what was happening within the organization, and the strategies that were being employed that align to those changes in healthcare and then taking it to the individual. So what impact did this have for them and how did they need to adjust and behave? behave? And again, it it was not 45 minutes of someone talking to someone, it was these six people having a dialogue and learning from each other and connecting dots that otherwise weren't connected and walking away being able to articulate what was happening in healthcare, what our company was doing about it, and how their world was going to shift and what their role was in helping it along. And to me, that was a successful alignment exercise because of all those pieces we've talked about. It was the dialogue, it was the context, and it was the right resource delivering the right message. It wasn't it wasn't the um, the mailman exercise where we deliver something to a leader and then we hope that they can communicate it to their staff. What we learned is, our leaders weren't ready to communicate that to their staff and nor did they have the time and the capability. So how do we create the space for purposeful dialogue? And I do believe that helped to shift our, our culture towards the vision. And we, we measured that through um, some questions at our engagement survey. And one of the questions we would ask people is when change takes place, do you understand the reasons why? And in, in one year, it went up about 15%. We had 50% of our staff for our baseline saying they understood change. And then we had wow. 65% of our staff, you know, a year later saying I understood change. Now it's not radically amazing. And you got to start somewhere. Like you got to you know, raise the water level so you can bring people along with you. You can't leave them behind and hope that you're going to be successful. That's so,
0: such a true statement. Thank you so much for saying that Beth. It, and, and I love
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: the really tangible piece, which is there's the game, right, which is fun for many people to play now, right, because there's an engagement piece to it. So they're engaged with their colleagues, they've got 40 minutes of 45 minutes of time ish to be able to devote to learning. And then to quality check the progress, you know, x number of months later to say, you know, was this really, does this really make sense to you? And I just love that Mm -hmm. kind of bringing everything full circle. In that way, because most organizations may do an employee engagement survey, but it may be 10, 20 questions, or it may not be connected back to a mm-hmm. sort of strategic objective that they're focused on. And that really needs to exist, right? That really needs to happen Absolutely. for the organization to advance the way that it wants to. And I think about a couple of organizations that I'm serving, they're heavily involved in MA talks right now you know there's just for them to grow to be able to accomplish the goals that they're looking for they have to go out and acquire organizations at the same time as allowing for organic growth and just the mm-hmm. all the things that come with cultural adjustment and change and how do you you know pull in the best pieces of this acquired organization but still giving them the pieces of the the parent organization that they need to have you know, it really does Mm -hmm. come down to the dialogue. It really does come down to that one-to-one time Mm -hmm. that a leader spends Mm -hmm. with his or her direct report.
1: Yeah, and I think I would add intentions as well. You know, as you say that, and I picture people coming together, figuring out how to make this deal work. It kind of goes to the doing and the being, right? And so what I'd say about that is in mergers and acquisitions and most business transactions, it's all about the doing. What are we doing? What are we agreeing to? What are the assets? What are the blah, blah, blah? And like the, how we're going to be also needs to be part of the conversation. And so you know, one thing I've, I've worked with in the acquisitions we've been part of is working with that combined team, that integration team to say, what are our guiding principles? How are we going to be with each other? How is this going to feel to people? How do we want this to feel? And if, it, if we start to deliver some implementation of a software system, and it doesn't go back to that principle we had, then it's not an alignment. And so I, I think remembering the, the being piece because we're human beings, as part of those business transactions is really important too. I
0: so agree. And I just feel like the the work that you do is going to be much more prevalent in society over the next probably 10 years or so, um, just because there's just so much change happening in society or there's you know so many CEOs or organizations looking to figure out new ways to make money or technology, globalization, like all these things are driving the need to be on top of things faster or to make decisions faster. And there really is something to be said for focusing in on the feelings that we desire to have through a transaction, because we get so focused in on, Mm -hmm. is this going to add money to our bottom line that we need to take care of that? Don't get me wrong. But what about the triple bottom line, right? What about this kind of conscious capitalism approach Mm -hmm. to it, where we're thinking about people, planet and profit simultaneously? And if we can get people thinking in Mm -hmm. those terms and thinking more about the emotions and feelings the probability of the deal happening far more smoothly or in everyone's best benefit, I think is higher.
1: I agree. Cause as a person in that organization, you're, you're likely to be more proud of it, to be more aware of it, to feel more aligned because you know how you can contribute versus it's being done to you in, in your, you know, You are the receiver of a bunch of FAQs and videos, (laughs) but you're not actually engaged or proud about what your company's just become. That's a missed opportunity.
0: Completely is. So uh, as we get close to the top of the hour here, Beth, um, obviously we've covered a ton of stuff with regards to uh, cool mantras and lessons you've learned throughout your life, the trip that you and your family took uh, around the world, 20 different countries, uh, different things that, that you've learned about yourself and that you now get to help other people through when you coach them. To, you know, from cultural adjustment and change and processes and ways to make that really tangible for an individual or for a team, um, to what are the things that we do to stay really heavily focused in on agreements and feelings and things that are a little bit softer skill, a little bit more emotional intelligence related when we're doing M&A transactions. I just feel like that stuff is so important. So. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that the mm-hmm. Daniel Goleman uh, emotional intelligence coaching program. Whether are there any like really significant resources that you've got out of that that we can add to our list of your favorite books and podcasts and white papers or research or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I think the the two things I would say about that that I find to be taken uh, taken away is if you look at Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence models, there's total of twelve competencies, and the research that he and his partners have done is for a leader to be really effective, you need to have six of those competencies well mastered and demonstrated. What I love about that is it doesn't prescribe which six of the 12. So we can work with ourselves as leaders to go where our natural strengths are. Maybe I'm better at influence and teamwork and mentoring, and you're better at achievement orientation and um, self-awareness. We can work towards our strengths. And if we can master six of those competencies, we can be more effective leaders. That's one thing. The, the second thing that I really love about the program, and is new to me from a coaching perspective, I don't know if you or the, those listening have incorporated this, but a tenant of the Goldman program for those going through it is daily journaling. And so daily prompts and daily exercises, it might be something to try in terms of a mindfulness practice, or it might be noticing your triggers today, what happened, what led up to it. What was your emotion and then what did you you do and and looking at patterns of mental models and triggers. So I really love um, the journaling aspect and it's shared with the coach. And so then when you're working with your coach, come back every two weeks, that coach is going back to your journal and saying, here are some of the things I noticed. Here's the theme or here's a narrative I think that you might hold or a mindset you hold. Tell me more about that. And is that something you want to continue to subscribe to? I, I mm-hmm. really have enjoyed the journaling piece because it gives you access to what's going on with that person outside of the coaching calls every few weeks. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's a tool and a resource, and a practice yeah. I found to be really beneficial.
0: I completely agree. I just love that. Okay, so you also mentioned the Artist's Way book earlier. Are there other resources that you can gravitate to or or would like to recommend to those listening?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I I just think there's so much out there. So whatever you're interested in, I, I think asking people for that, I really like um, Lencioni's work when it comes to working with teams just because it's simple. I like practical. I don't like theory. I like like how do I actually take something and apply it? I like the uh, necessary endings by Henry Cloud and recognizing letting go of things and able to move forward because sometimes we are kind of like a snowplow and we want to keep collecting everything and not looking at what needs to, to let go. Cameron's uh, book on The Artist's Way I think is beautiful. You can do that as a book club or you can do it individually in your own self-reflection. Those are some of my favorites. Favorites that I, I would put out there, and I'm sure I'll think of others afterwards. But that's what comes top yeah, of mind.
0: Yeah, no, no, and that's perfect because there have been uh, other guests on the show who have mentioned Lencioni's work. So completely agree with that. Because what what has always been a struggle for me is that in traditional university learning, it's very theory based, but it's not necessarily yeah. execution based. And I struggle with theory, and I love to be able to think about day to day, like what's the thing that's going to allow for this person to execute. And, uh, obviously Goldman's work really gets down to really tactical stuff. That's executionable. Same thing with Lencioni, like, this is really what we're here to do, right. Is to make people do things differently and maybe that they hadn't considered doing or didn't want to do before. And so it's like, what do we mm-hmm. do to, get them to the point of action? So one final question for you, Beth, uh, is you, when you think about that piece of advice you'd like to offer any person who is wanting to uh, break free from some sort of self-limiting mindset or society's mold or something that's holding mm. them back? Like, what would you offer them?
1: Oh man, I, I I believe you can do anything you put your mind to. So get really clear in your heart what that is that you want to go mm. after, and then don't let anything stop you because it is easier than you think it is. Surround yourself with the people. That support you and the resources you need to be able to think about that future and and go for it. I love
0: that. And you're definitely a beautiful living example of that to Mm -hmm. say, you know, 13 years, hard charging career, climbing the corporate ladder, doing all the right things, and then saying, you know what, I don't know if this is entirely in alignment with my being, I'm going to take a year to just have... Uh, more Mm -hmm. time just to be, and you got to do a lot of great things on your trip. Don't get me wrong, but just that self-discovery that comes from that is fantastic. So would you say that the best place to learn more about you or to find you would be, uh, is it innovative connections, com?
1: Yeah, I currently am working with um, Lori Cure's company, innovative Connections. So we do great work. It's a, a small consulting firm that's based in the U S and love to pick up new clients from that website. And of course you can always message me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm pretty active on both of those. And I'd love to make connections with anyone listening. Cool.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. I will make sure in the show notes, everybody listening that there are links to innovative connections, website and to uh, Beth's Facebook profile and, or uh, her LinkedIn profile. Uh, so with that, Beth, I want to thank you so much for investing roughly an hour of time into myself and to our listeners today. You shared so many really wonderful and powerful things. And I feel like we didn't even address things that you do philanthropically or things that you've learned from that. And maybe on a future show, I'll have you back. We could talk about those things because who knows what kind of awesome things are going to happen for us in the next couple of years. So um i really absolutely for the bottom of my heart for for being a part of a show today
1: my pleasure have a great rest of your day and great rest of your week yes
0: thank you and for everybody listening thank you so much for for uh, listening in today i just want to wish you a fantastic day and go forth and be Mm -hmm. awesome if you enjoyed this episode please leave a review on itunes and like share or comment on this podcast on michaelssever.com facebook instagram linkedin twitter or youtube
1: Go forth and be awesome.